Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another Believe in the Press Room. A early, well, it's 9 o'clock, it's not early anymore. Monday morning from uh, Seattle. Things uh, are hot here, unusually hot. 85 degrees this weekend, Saturday, Sunday. People were out golfing. In twosomes, I'm told, I didn't make it out there. A happy belated Mother's Day to all mothers out there. And really excited to have a Toronto cast legend, I would say. My words, not his. A Dan Schulman joining us this morning. Dan, how are you? Uh, I'm doing very well, Jonah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for saying that. And you're winning in the weather department right now. We had snow this morning in Toronto, which I think is a first for me on May the 11th. So uh, who knows why that's going on, but uh, we're still waiting to catch up. Is that, is that a record? Has, have there, has there been this much snow this late in May? Before? That I don't know. I do know two days ago was an all-time low. I think it got down to minus two Celsius at night and the high was plus two, which depending on where your listeners are is 36 Fahrenheit. So I, I know we've set some all-time lows. I, I never, ever, ever remember snow in May. Uh, not that I necessarily keep track of these things, but you know, like for example, the Blue Jays' first game was on April the 7th in 1977, and 43 years later, a big deal is being made of that, that there was snow. Uh, this is over a month after that. Now, it's hitting the ground and it's melting almost right away, but we woke up to some, you know, serious snowflakes. The dog barely wanted to go outside today, and it's crazy to me to see this in May. And you and your family are, are keeping well. I, I understand not everybody's under the same roof, but sounds like everyone based on some other interviews I've seen. Yeah, everyone as well, thank goodness. Uh, everyone is kind of scattered around. I, I've got three older kids from my first marriage and then a little guy from my second marriage. So the little guy obviously is, is under this roof, but the other three boys are scattered around right now, but everybody's making the best of it. And uh, you're a fellow road warrior. How are you adjusting to uh, life under one roof for an extended period of time? It is a bit of a culture shock. It has obviously some wonderful aspects to it, getting a chance to, so I've probably slept in my own bed for 58 or 59 consecutive nights, which uh, speaking of personal bests or personal highs, that would be an all-time record by a lot. Uh, and I'm getting a chance to see my, my one-year-old during some very you know, wonderful stages of his, of his young life. Uh, but I won't lie, and I'm not saying anything my wife hasn't heard me say out loud in the house. It, it's, it is a culture shock to not travel. It is a culture shock to not work. Um, I think it's the work I miss more than the travel. Uh, you know, the travel was, you know, kind of fun in my 20s and 30s. As I get older, it's, it's less fun and, and more of a grind, and especially given what we're going through in the world right now. I don't think anybody's really anxious to be sitting in a middle seat or, or lining up at a TSA or an immigration line with people all over the place. Uh, not that there are a lot of people at airports or on airplanes these days, but um, I, I, would, I would like to go back and, and, and work at some point this summer. I'm hoping there will be baseball, but uh, we'll, we'll find out if that's possible in the next few weeks, I guess. Yeah, I, there's no way the longest I've been in one place in a year. I flew probably 175,000 miles last year. And, uh, yeah, it's weird. Like I'm watching a new show on Netflix that takes place on an airplane. I'm like, huh, I'm a little bit homesick. I'll admit uh, <laughs> cramped seats, people smelling next to you. Yeah. You kind of miss it. But, uh, here we are. Uh, I did see, by the way, that a place near and dear to my heart and part of your history, Barry is like completely snowed in. Uh, oh, really? yeah, apparently there's a yeah. ton of snow up there. I don't think, I, I got to think this is a record. I don't think we've seen this much accumulation this late in the year. Um, so much to talk about. Um, so, so, you know, listen, Toronto boy, uh, you know, everyone, uh, there's nobody left on the planet who follows sports, who doesn't know your name. I will tell you, and I think I, I sent you a note on this, uh, the night you agreed to do this, uh, I announced it to my boy, who's a big fan of yours and watches you mostly on college basketball. That's how he first heard you. He's older, uh, but now loves you doing Jays games. And a guy sitting next to me who's a Seattle sports fan said, wait, wait, what'd you just say? And I said, Dan Shulman's coming on the, on the podcast. And he goes, you know Dan Shulman. I said, well, I don't really know him, but he goes, well, how's he coming on your podcast? He's like, I'm his number one fan. 
And so, so here we are, I think it's 5,024 miles or something from Toronto. And you've got, a, you've got a huge following from college basketball. This guy in particular is a, a, a Kansas Jayhawks fan and uh, awesome. loves yeah. hearing your games. So listen, like Toronto boy, how crazy is it? When, like there must be times where you're on your way to the airport or on the way to or from a game where you almost have to literally pinch yourself that you're doing the final four, the world series, you know, did you ever imagine that it would come to this? No, uh, not at all. My goal when I got into this, when I was very young and, and kind of wanted to give it a shot about six months after I graduated from university, my goal being a Toronto boy, as you say, was to work at a Toronto radio station. That was it. Hopefully in sports, do something in sports at a Toronto radio station. Never spent very much time thinking about play-by-play, -play, although I'd done that at Western and university. Never spent any time thinking about television, zero, and never spent any time thinking about working at ESPN or, or on a national level in the United States. That never crossed my mind. Once I got into it, before long, thankfully, things started going you know, really well, and, and I was getting all these opportunities. But I've kind of gone through, I think, three stages in my career in terms of how I feel about it. The pinch myself, that was definitely a stage. The first time, like somebody's actually giving me a tape recorder and sending me down to what was then known as Skydome, go interview Joe Carter or Roberto Alomar or Jack Morris or Dave Winfield. That was crazy. I was 25 years old. And, and I went from graduating Western in 89, being an actuary in 1990, starting my radio career in 1990, getting to Toronto in 1991. And in 1992, I'm down at the ballpark and they're in the World Series and I'm on the field with a credential and nobody's kicking me off like I'm supposed to be there. So the pinch me stage started then. And definitely, you know, when I started getting, when I started doing the Blue Jays on TSN back in the mid nineties, and then shortly after that started getting some ESPN work, kind of that first seven, eight year stage of my career, I guess total pinch me stage. Then I guess I kind of settled in and it, I, was, I was too close to it. I was in it. So I kind of got out of the pinch me stage and hey, this is what I do. Now I'm in, I guess, maybe an older version of the pinch myself stage. It's the appreciation stage. It's not that I'm pinching myself anymore, but every time I walk into uh, Allen Fieldhouse in Kansas, every time I walk into Cameron Indoor Stadium at Duke, every time I walk into Rupp Arena at Kentucky, uh, or for that matter, Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, Wrigley Field, whatever the case may be. I do, just for a moment, look around and say, you know, the, you're closer to the finish line than the start here. So savor this, enjoy this. So maybe that's kind of a, you know, an older version of pinching myself, at, uh, pinching myself at how lucky I've been. So I was thinking about this the other day, how different the mediums, radio and TV are. And then also how different the sports are. Um, I've said this numerous times, we're really lucky in Toronto with the Raptors. I think both on radio and TV, we have two of the best in the business, uh, radio and TV. And I mean, I'm not just talking about one or two guys, I'm talking about the entire crew. Um, we love them. We have a great relationship with them, but the game doesn't allow them to really have that deep relationship that baseball does. Um, and you've done both radio and TV and just thinking back, like even watching that, that TV show that's on right now on the baseball announcer, the drunk, I can't remember. I, name will pop into my head in a minute. Rock uh, yeah, exactly. Rock. Yeah. Even him, who, if you haven't seen it, it's a great show. It's really worth watching. Um, you know, the, this drunk retired baseball announcer, he has a really intimate relationship with audience because you have that. You have the gift of time that you don't have in other sports. Right. How do you approach those two things differently? So uh, specifically in baseball, um, radio and TV are extraordinarily different. And the radio that I do is for ESPN and largely in October. So uh, I'm not year round on radio. I think if you are the radio voice of a team and you do 162 games or close to it, you develop an unbelievably intimate relationship uh, with your listeners. I, I still get people, it's, it's the nature of radio. You know, back in the 90s when I was on the fan, I wasn't a play-by-play -play guy yet, but I still, I'll have more people now reminisce with me about being on the fan in 1992 and 1993 
than being the voice of the Blue Jays on TSN from 95 through 2001. Radio is an unbelievably intimate medium, and I think radio is a fantastic medium. And I hope no matter what technological advance, uh, uh, advances we continue to make, that radio always has its place. Um, TV voice of a, of a baseball team, and you do 140, 150, or 162, I think you also develop uh, a, a very similar relationship. Right now, I'm kind of in an in-between. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I don't do that many games. So, you know, there are people your age, you and I look like we're about the same age. Uh, people your age remember me from back then. Uh, people from a younger generation may not have, in Canada, may not have any idea who I am if they don't watch college basketball or they didn't watch Sunday night baseball. It was funny when I, when I came back to start doing the Jays, there were a couple of things uh, on Twitter uh, at me about why would they bring in this American guy to do Blue Jays games, <laughs> which I thought was funny because I'm the only, I'm the only Canadian in the bunch. Like not right. only I'm not American, I'm the only Canadian. Right. Um, not that it should matter one way or another. I'm fucking tabby should have citizenship by now, you know, with all they've done in all the years um, that they've been in Canada. But um, it's true. I think radio lends itself to more intimacy and I think baseball lends itself to more intimacy. Um, but uh, you know, it, it also depends if you work for a local team or a national network. Having worked for ESPN for so many years, I'm not the voice of Kansas or Duke or Kentucky. I'm a college basketball guy who's all over the place. So, you know, working on a national network has wonderful advantages, but I think you lose out on a little bit of that intimacy as well. So I'll tell you, my, my memory of you as a broadcaster, uh, there's two of them. Uh, the first one, without question, I can tell you exactly where I was. I can t tell you exactly where I was wearing, what I was wearing. I was living in Detroit. I was in my apartment. I was a geek. It was the night of the NHL draft. I had the, you, in Detroit, you could pick up Windsor radio. This is pre-internet. You could pick up Windsor radio AM. I think it was 800 used to carry primetime sports. And you were on the radio with Jim, not with Jim Hunt. You were on, you're doing primetime. I don't know who your co-host was. And you broke in been, with. It would have been shaky. Yeah, it would have been Jim Hunt. I just remember on that specific night, but you broke in with the news of the, of the Wendell Clark trade. <laughs> and, and that's my memory. Like when I hear Dan Shulman, I, I can see myself in my apartment being a loser, listening to a radio in my apartment, listening to Windsor radio to hear parts of the NHL draft. And you breaking in with the, with the news that my favorite Maple Leaf of all time had been traded. That's funny. Uh, I don't remember the specifics of that night. Uh, and certainly very few people would associate me with hockey. Everybody would all, uh, associate me with basketball or baseball. But I loved my four years at the fan. I loved uh, everything that I did there. I started off on weekends, then evenings, then middays, and then eventually did two years of primetime sports. And I guess I'm the answer to a trivia question in some ways. Like, name, name the only two people who ever did primetime sports. I'm the other guy uh, who did it for a couple of years back in the 90s. But, you know, back then I was so lucky. Not only were the Blue Jays great, obviously, in 92 and 93, uh, but the Maple Leafs, as you know, made the conference finals in 92-93 and 93-94. Like, what a great time for the fan to become the fan. And what a great time for a young guy with no experience and really no clue what he's doing to show up at the radio station and say, hey, you got anything for me? So, you know, sports was at an all-time fever pitch in Toronto, uh, I think, at that time, and, and that really benefited me. If I'm right, I believe... Jonah, hey, Jonah, hang on one sec. Let me switch. I have two Wi-Fi networks. Let me switch to the one that I think is going to be better now. Okay. Give me 10 seconds. I'll be yep, right back. Okay, you got me? I do. Okay. Let's try that. Okay, go ahead. So if memory serves me correctly, McCowan goes off to Vegas and you get primetime sports. Is that right? Like you, you instantly replace Bob on primetime. Yes, I was doing the midday show. I was doing noon four. Bob was doing primetime, and we had a crossover hour between three and four. Myself, Bob, and Barb DeGiulia, uh, um, which we did for, I don't know, several months. I had a show for a year and a half, two years, something like that. 
Uh, Bob went to Vegas and I started doing primetime sports. I want to say maybe early in 1993, something like that. That would be my best guess. Okay. So was primetime a big deal back then? As big as it is now? I mean, not right this yeah, minute. Yeah, I, I mean, Bob had made it a big deal. So, you know, as you know, because you cover it, it's in radio, it's morning drive and afternoon drive. Those are the two biggest times. Midday, mid-morning, evenings are all well below that. So uh, at one point earlier, Bob was on primetime. I was on middays. And they won I think this is when I went to primetime, actually. Bob was on primetime. I was on middays. And they had decided to make a change in the morning show. And they came to me and they came to Bob and they said, we need one of you to do the morning show and one of you to do primetime. And Bob said, I'm not doing the morning show. I don't care what you pay me. And I was just a kid. Like, Bob was more established than I was. And I said, I don't want to do the morning show. Uh, I've done things in Barry. I don't want to wake up at 3.30 in the morning. Right. It's not. And, and it's more of an entertainment-y show. I'm, I was, and still am, I'm just a geek. I'm a hardcore sports guy. And they said, okay, Danny, well, we'll pay you this. And I wasn't making much money. We'll pay you this. And I said, it's not about the money to me. We'll pay you this. And I said, it's not about the money to me. And Bob also said, I don't want to do it. It's not about the money to me. In the end, Bob took the job. <laughs> and I and I said, because I was serious. I didn't want to do it. And maybe it was crazy. I was like 26 years old. Who am I to be saying no to promotion? But eventually, Bob took mornings. And, and I went to primetime and we did that for a while. And then Bob was actually, and this is no secret, he's talked about it on air. Bob's contract ended. Right. And then it was, I believe, literally the week that I got the Blue Jay job on TSN in whatever, February of 95 or whatever. And like, I think Bob was gone for a week and then came back when I left the radio station to go do the Blue Jays. So, you know, time is everything for everybody, obviously. I got very lucky that Jim Houston elected to just focus on hockey and to not continue doing both sports. I've had a lot of breaks in my career, but the biggest break I ever got, without question, was getting a chance to be the play-by-play guy for a major league baseball team. And uh, when that happened in 1995, that, that was huge for me. So I'm going to get there in a second, but... So tell me about Hunt, <clears throat> Shaky Hunt. He was really entertaining on the radio. He, he had a he great was, radio personality. Yeah, he was awesome. And I was 40 years younger than him. Like, think about that. It's one thing to be 20 years younger than the guy you're working with. I was 40 years younger than Jim Hunt. And I knew him a little bit, but it was Bob, Bob had worked with Shaky for a fair bit of time. And Shaky was wonderful with me. He always called me Daniel. Never once did he call me Dan, which is what I guess I'm known as on TV, or Danny, which is what I actually prefer to be called, and I'm called in my personal life. Uh, Bob Elliott and Jim Hunter, the only two people ever who only called me Daniel. And, you know, Shaky had that wonderful scratchy voice, ah, Daniel, ah, ah, you know, and, <laughs> and he was great. And we had a great we would argue, we would bicker sometimes, but I give him credit. Again, I was new. I was 26 years old when I started doing primetime sports. I was so young that I was told by one of my bosses at what was then known as CJCL, if anybody asks you how old you are, don't tell them. <laughs> so I did that. And then there was an article written in a newspaper saying that I was evasive about my age. And I, so now I didn't know what to do. I was caught between a rock and a hard place. But Shaky was wonderful to me. And one of the things I loved about primetime, you know, back, back then, I guess my brain could assimilate more information than it does now. I'm just a two-sport guy for the most part right now. But obviously, when you do a radio show like that, you're covering the NHL, the NFL, CFL, golf, tennis, auto racing, to, you know, Olympics to a certain extent. You know, we would go out. We would go down to Maple Leaf and, and do the show from there. We would go down to the sky and do the show from there. We would go to the Maple Leafs Charity Golf Tournament and do it on remote. Uh, and we did, a, we did the first ever show at Gretzky's. I have a picture in my office upstairs of me, Wayne Gretzky, and Jim Hunt that was taken on the opening night of Gretzky's because Gretzky's asked Primetime Sports to, to go down and do the show there. So I loved it. It gave me a chance to cover everything, uh, and it gave me a chance to meet a lot of people and immerse myself in a lot of different sports. Do you have any one memory of an interview while doing primetime that sticks out? Well, Gretzky's one of them. Uh, you know, to have Wayne Gretzky sitting beside you 
uh, on the night that his restaurant opens is that. I know I interviewed Jim Brown. These wouldn't be all in person. Most of these yeah. are on the phone. But I know we interviewed Jim Brown. I know we interviewed Hank Aaron. I know we interviewed my all-time favorite athlete as a kid and will always be Daryl Sittler. The first time, you know, the first time Daryl Sittler came into the studio, I was, I don't, I wouldn't even want to hear that interview if it still exists, how I managed to get through that because I was such an enormous Sittler fan as a kid. I thought, I didn't think it was coincidence we had the same initials. I thought that was some sort of, <laughs> some sort of hockey god karma existed between us, you know, his 10 point game was two days away from my birthday. I thought that was meaningful. So I'd say Hank Aaron, Jim Brown, and, and Daryl Sittler are probably the three that I remember the most. So you leave primetime, then you go, the Jays were on TSN back then, were they not? The Jays were on three different networks back then. They were on TSN, CBC, and I believe it was Baton at the time, which was. And, and I'm going to get this wrong, but like CTV had kind of, there was some metamorphosis there right. or something, but there were three different uh, networks, broadcasting games, and three different announced crews from what I remember. I was exclusively TSN. We had, we had the most games of any of the three networks. I think I did about 80 games a year over the seven years I was there. And did you overlap with Tom Cheek at all? Yes. So Tom Cheek, uh, I loved and loved. Um, whenever I get asked, uh, and, and as I do once in a while, you know, who were your guys growing up? Who did you pattern yourself after? I, I don't think I've patterned myself after anybody, but Tom Cheek is the first name I mentioned. Even if I'm talking to somebody in the U.S. who doesn't know who Tom is, I explain who Tom is, and then I say it. So, you know, Tom, as you know, the original voice of the Jays back in '77. And I, I get there in 90, kind of really get there in 91. And by 92, as I said before, I'm down at Sky Dome, and I'm starting to do some of the pre- and post-game shows. Scott Ferguson did Major League Report and Baseball of the Day, the two scoreboard shows. Yep. Bob, did, Bob did Jay's talk. When I got there and kind of started getting established, Bob kind of wanted out of Jay's talk. So I took over on Jay's talk. So sometimes I'd be down in the booth, but what Fergie and I would do, Scott Ferguson and I would do every second weekend, I would also do Major League Report and Baseball Today, so he could have one weekend off. Yep. And then the other weekend, he would do J-Stop, so I could have a weekend off. So we weren't working 14 days in a row. So especially the weekend when I did uh, Major League Report and Baseball Today, if the Jays were on the road, you did it from the, the radio station. But if the Jays were at home, you did it from the ballpark. So, you know, here's little Danny, 25 years old, 1992, and now I'm in the booth with Tom Cheek and Jerry Howard. So, yes, we overlapped. Um, Tom was wonderful to me, as was Jerry. Both of them were wonderful to me. And a vivid memory I have is in the spring of 95, this might be the first time I've ever told this story, is in the spring of 95, it's my first year as play-by-play voice -play -play of the Jays on TSN. And Tom and Shirley, his wife, yep. invite me, my first wife, Sarah, and our baby son, Matthew. Well, he wouldn't have been a baby. He'd have been about 16 months old. They invite us over for dinner down in Florida during some training. And we go over for dinner. And it was funny. I remember two things. Shirley, and she didn't know this, made every favorite food I have on earth. <laughs> Shirley made that night. Caesar salad, garlic bread, and spaghetti. Like that is as good as it gets for me. And then after the meal, Matthew, they had kind of like a split level place. Matthew was up in like a bouncy, you know, jumper, jumping jaw, whatever they call it. Um, and Tom got out of his chair and like army crawled over to the stairs and army crawled up the stairs to play peekaboo with my son, Matthew. Wow. And I sat there, you want to talk about a pinch, a pinch me moment. Yeah sat there saying this legendary voice who I've listened to since I was 10 years old invited me into his home had my family for dinner and is now playing peekaboo with my one-year-old son so um, I treasure the, the time I had with Tom um, he was great to me he, re he really really was and I think subconsciously I probably learned a lot about broadcasting from him and, and I consider him to be one of the greatest baseball voices there's that there ever was yeah, he, he's missed, and uh, yeah. what a voice. And he certainly had that relationship with Jays fans. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, he wasn't, I mean, clearly he wasn't from Toronto, but you, you get there down and he was there, I believe his last year was 2004, but I'm not sure. So 27, 28 years as the primary voice doing baseball. Uh, my summer job for a few years was as a lifeguard in the late, mid to late 80s. And uh, whoever was on the tower got to choose what was on the radio. Right. <laughs> and uh, so whenever you were on, like everybody knew I was on the ball game. And, and again, things you don't think of often, but if you think about it, it kind of takes you back in time instantly. Being a lifeguard at pool with the baseball game on the radio is, is a good memory for me from a million years ago. All right. You can take a deep breath. I got to pay some bills here. You know, unfortunately, as you may have heard, there's no sports to watch these days, but that doesn't mean we can't still make some bets. And our friends at betonline.ag have, uh, have some lot, have lots of things to bet on. Surprisingly, you can bet on eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, God help us the elections. Let's not go there. And yes, the $750,000 poker series. Lots of fun to be had. Go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. I have a new advertiser today that's kind of near and dear to my heart. As many of, uh, as many of my, as my followers know, my son about a year ago ended up in the hospital uh, with was not Corona, but it certainly felt like Corona. He had, the, he had pneumonia and the flu and uh, ended up in the ICU for a week. And he got out of that situation. The one thing he asked for was, he said, Dad, can I please have a new bed? And absolutely, the IKEA, old IKEA mattress and frame would go. Where did I turn it? But I turned to a good friend of mine who runs a company called Sleep Envy. Sleep Envy is easy. It's online. It's one of the new mattress companies. You can customize your mattress by taking a minute quiz. It ships in a box right to your door. You get to try it for 100 nights in the comfort of your own home. Shipping is always free. If you're not satisfied, they will pick it up and give you 100% of your money back. I can tell you I didn't return ours. You unzip the box, the thing on flates. You leave it on the floor for flowers. Building the frame, they, they connect you to a YouTube video. Even an idiot me could do it. We have a really good deal from them today. If you go to sleepenvy.com, that's S-L-E-E-P-E-N-V-I-E.com, and use the code PRESSROW at checkout, we'll throw in an additional 25% off. That again, an additional 25% off, 10% of which their proceeds are going to uh, those who are on the front lines fighting corona. Uh, that 10% of sales is going to feed coronavirus uh, response fund. Again, that's sleepenvy.com, S-L-E-E-P-E-N-V-I-E.com. Use the code PRESSROW, P-R-E-S-S-R-O-W, to get a 25% off. I can't tell you. Good Canadian company, uh, shipped to both Canada and the U.S. Product is fantastic. My kid loves it and could not be easier. Now I'm going to take So my, uh, my second great memory from you, I'm hoping that you can hear this if I blast it loud enough. Um, let's see. See if you can hear this. This on the ball game. ABC News is reporting that Osama bin Laden has been killed. And a presidential news conference is upcoming momentarily. We uh, ask all of you to go to your ABC stations for further details on that situation. For those of you staying with us, we'll be back for the ninth inning momentarily here in Philadelphia with a game tied at one. So can you hear that okay? did hear that so that had to be a hair standing up on your arm moment yes uh <laughs> that, that is fair to say um it is the most surreal moment of my career i can't imagine something more surreal than that um you know i know a lot of broadcasters have encountered a lot of things that this is how it works when you're in live television or radio um, but that was a, a Sunday night baseball game in Philadelphia in 2011. Bobby Valentine, who was one of my broadcast partners at the time, nudged me with his elbow and showed me his phone. And all it said on it was a text, and it said, we got Bin Laden. And again, we're on the air at the, at the time. And for the next several minutes, it was me talking on talkback to the truck, to our producer, 
Hey, do you have anything on this? Should I say something? Don't say anything yet. We're corrupting it. Just call the game. The two-two pitch is outside. Let me know when you have something. And you know, there's no such thing as a play-by-play handbook. But even if there was, I don't think the situation would be in there. And I had a do-over. Not that I would necessarily want one uh, for the, you know, any kind of a, a world event of that magnitude. But if I had a do-over, I think I'd do it a little bit differently. I, I think I. I played it very safe. I was very cautious. I was I was cognizant of the fact, uh, to be honest with you, that this is a worldwide event. But more than anything, it was an American event. I am Canadian, and I wanted to be incredibly careful not to say anything that uh, would cause any sensitivity or be misconstrued in any way. So I, I played it in, incredibly safe and just told the line, go to your ABC stations, here's what we know. And then within a couple of minutes, probably right after we came back from that break, because the way the world is and everybody has their phones, a spontaneous deafening cheer of USA, USA broke out, which if you closed your eyes and listened to it, would sound like like a Lake Placid hockey game or something like that, like everybody cheering for the USA Olympic hockey team. It was that loud. Everybody in the ballpark but the ballplayers knew what was going on. They eventually found out from camera people or security guards. Um, but it, it was something else. And then, of course, the game goes like 13 minutes, so we're on the air for two hours, trying to somehow juggle a baseball game, 45,000 fans, a lot of people from New York, the Mets were the opposition, um, and this the biggest event in world news at the time. So... Yeah, even when all my memories start slipping away, I'm sure that'll be one. That'll be one night I never forget. Yeah, it reminded me of back in in times that you were talking about. Leafs were actually pretty good, and you'd go down to the dome to watch the Blue Jays play, and in the middle of nowhere, people would cheering, and it had nothing to do with the baseball game. And the players on the field were looking around, going, "What the hell's going on here?" That's what it looked like to me. Because I've watched, I will USA chant clip as well. I didn't, I didn't keep that to play back for you. But so if you were going to do it again, what, how would you do it, knowing what you know today? I think I would take control of the situation a little bit more. Um, I think there was, and maybe I'm the only one who hears it because you know yourself better than anybody. But I think I was just overly cautious. I, I don't think my voice conveyed the authority that it should have, or that maybe I'm capable of. I was blessed to have Bobby Valentine in the booth. I mean, it's a guy uh, who's very well connected with, uh, you know, in so many different areas. Also, it's a guy who was a Mets manager at the time of 9-11. And he was down there at ground zero and, and front and center on TV. Bobby was wonderful. I think Bobby carried the rest of the broadcast. I just leaned on him for his perspective, his thoughts, his context. Uh, that sort of thing. I don't think I'd do anything drastically different. I just think I would uh, try to have a little bit more self-confidence in my ability to do this, even though I've never done it before, just to trust yourself to not be so cautious and overthink everything before it comes out of your mind. So another thing I watched last night was a really good interview with yourself and, and Dan Trek the morning after the Batista bat flip. And I didn't realize, because I was living in Canada at the time, that you did that game, I assume, for or some outlet in the U.S., right? I did the game for ESPN Radio. I, I do the playoffs every year for ESPN Radio. And that year, I actually wasn't supposed to be on that game. I was doing the Cubs and Cardinals. And my series ended. And Dave Fleming, who had done the first four games for the Blue Jays and Rangers, got called away to do a college football game on television, on ESPN TV. And because my series had ended the day before, I got a call from my radio boss who said, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, I'm going to the Blue Jays game with my sons and my dad. And he goes, do you want to do the game? And I said, well, yeah, of course. So I only found out maybe 20, 21 hours before that I was doing the game. And again, it's one of those funny uh, you know, I wasn't on Fox, I wasn't on Canadian radio, so I, was, I was on ESPN radio, so it's out there, but I don't think it's very well known that I did that game, certainly not by Cadence, um, but it's one, of the highlights, yeah, it, it, it's one of the highlights of my career to have done that game, especially because my kids and parents were there, and they're such enormous Jays fans. Um, you know, ESPN radio has been a wonderful uh, opportunity for me that, again, in Canada, very few 
people here in the U.S. more common. It's been my ticket to the postseason. It's been my ticket to October for over 20 years and to the World Series for the last nine years. But doing the Bautista game, you know, given that I'm a Toronto guy, is definitely one of the highlights of my career. So what do you remember about that game most? I remember the top of the seventh inning with the bottles being thrown on the field, the chaos after Russell Martin's throw hit Shin Su Chu's bat. I remember saying on the air and feeling, this is ugly. This is not who we were supposed to be. I remember feeling that this is 22 years of pent-up Blue Jay fandom frustration and anger. I remember thinking this is a lot of people thinking that this is just the man or U.S. television or baseball trying to screw over the Blue Jays because they don't get ratings and we don't want them. <laughs> That's not me feeling that. It's me knowing that a lot yeah. of Canadians feel that way. We don't get the good time slots. They don't want us in the playoffs. We don't get ratings, that sort of thing. And I remember the top of the seventh being the most uh, emotionally charged sporting event I've ever been at. And not, it's not even close. I don't even know what number two would be. And it was ugly. And when the top half of the inning ended, the run counted, the Rangers had the lead, I texted my sons and my parents, and I said, listen, guys, I'm not joking here. I'm afraid there's going to be a riot after this game. And I, and I was afraid. I'm not, I'm not trying to be dramatic or anything. I've never been, in, I've never been at anything like this. You know, and, and at the time, this was five years ago, so my dad's 78, my mom's in her 70s, and I, and I, and I texted them and I said, you need to stay at your seats. I'm going to come get you, and I'm going to take you home. But you guys need to stay at your seats if they lose this game. That's during the seventh inning stretch. Yeah. Then we go to the bottom of the seventh. Boom. You know, this thing right here. I know yeah. we're only doing a podcast, but I've got a Bautista bat flip print on my wall right behind me here. And they take the lead. And it was like 22 years of frustration just spilling out of everybody into this enormous uh, – it wasn't relief. It, it, it was jubilation and anger, still, like, from the fans. Yep. Saying, well, we'll show you, and look at this. And, and I, I bet you within 10 seconds of Bautista rounding the bases, I texted my parents and sons again. I know I did it before the half inning was over. I texted them, and I said, okay, we're good, guys. I'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the seventh inning of that game which I think lasted like 57 minutes, top and bottom combined. I have never, ever been at anything like that. I imagine it's, it's somewhat like a big-time European soccer match, Mike. Right. Um, and, and, and again, in the top half of the inning, it was ugly. There is nothing to be proud about for us as Canadians, or for anybody, about what happened there. And I understand the anger, but it got dangerous. And, uh, you know, thankfully uh, – after Bautista hit the home run, everybody got in a good mood and everybody went home safely. I hope. It's funny, you know, I'd imagine throughout your career, a few moments where you've had to almost restrain yourself not to cheer, to not actually react, uh, not just as, not just behind a microphone. Like I would imagine when uh, the Raptors were in the, in the playoffs, Bounce, 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 and the guys had to restrain themselves absolutely bullets like the rest of Raptor. It just, it's incestuous. It's a natural reaction. Yeah. And if you look at the picture behind you, in the air, the play, including the pit where the media, is, everyone has their arms up. Yeah. Sure. It, it's human nature. And I'd be lying if I didn't say life's a little more interesting for me when the Blue Jays are good. Yes. Um, and again, I'm, like, it's not like I moved here when I was 30. The only four years of my life I didn't live in Toronto is when I was at school in London. So um, and I grew up on sports in Toronto. The, the team that I, if you were to pick one team in my lifetime that I loved the most, it would be the Maple Leafs when I was young. Right. Without question. It yep. would be the Sittler, Salming, McDonald, Thompson, Turnbull, Palmateer, Maple Leafs, you know, 73 to 79, somewhere in there. Good teams, but yep. we couldn't get over the hump, couldn't get past the Flyers, couldn't get past the Canadians, whatever the case may be. Um, and I don't work on hockey, so I don't have any problem saying that I was a huge Maple Leaf fan. I'm still a big Leaf fan. And, and you know, the other print you see behind me is the Green Bay Packers, and I don't cover the NFL. Um, 
but yeah, I would imagine the Raptor guy, of course, we well, could hear it in their voices. And, and again, we talked about the intimacy and the relationship you have with the fans. There's a different feeling for me when I do a Blue Jay game than there is when I do a Yankee Red Sox game that I did on Sunday Night Baseball. Not better, not worse, just different. Uh, and objectively, the game may not mean as much, but subjectively, it's a little bit different. Uh, I know my kids are watching. I know my parents are watching. I know my friends are watching. I know it makes people in my life happy if the Blue Jays win the game. And again, because we're all inherently somewhat selfish, especially those of us in broadcasting, the better the Jays are, the more fun my job is. You know, if, if, they're, if they're in a playoff spot, that's better than if they're 12 games out of a playoff spot. So I don't know if I've ever, you know, if you think about what I've done, the vast majority of what I've done has not been for teams that I quote unquote root for. I might've done three Maple Leaf games when I did a little hockey back in the 90s for TSN. Uh, I, for ESPN, I think I did two Raptors games in the five years I did NBA. So most of my time has been spent being purely neutral. Um, but it's, it's, been a, it's been a nice change um, coming back and doing Blue Jays games again. Not just that I have a, a bit of a vested interest in who wins. I also enjoy just the affiliation with a team and the relationships I've developed that I can call up any coach on the team at any time and ask them a question. That the players all know who I am when I walk in the clubhouse and they're approachable to me. Uh, I, I just enjoy the familiarity and the and the, the affiliation that I have with the group. How much has the athlete changed over your career? Exactly what you just said. The professional. We'll talk about college in a second. Professional athlete. I, I Back in the day, you used to do. You said you'd go down with prime time and imagine you're baseball guys. There were times you'd go back into a lock then. Yeah. How is it today? I don't know that they've changed that much. Um, you know, when I started with the fan, again, I was 25, 26, and I, I kind of got from Barry to Skydome so fast. It was a little too fast in hindsight in the sense that it took me a while to figure out some of the protocols and the routines and the tradition. I didn't know anything. I didn't know when you could talk to people, where you could talk to people. And this group had... Jack Morris, Dave Winfield, Dave Stewart, Paul Molitor. I mean, holy cow. Like, I was, out, I was out of my league. When I became one of the voices of the Jays in 95 with TSN, I was around every day. I had begun to build up a little equity, I guess. Plus, there was a lot of turnover. And by 95, 96, 97, now it was Carlos Delgado, Sean Green, Alex Gonzalez, Dan Plesak, Pat Henkin, Paul Quantrill. I could not have asked for a better group of guys in terms of welcoming me in, uh, accepting my occasionally stupid questions and, and mistakes that I might have made. And, and so by then I felt much more comfortable. But in terms of how the average player of the 90s deals with the media compared to the average player today, I don't think it's much different. The only difference would be is that there's a lot more media around today. There are a lot more outlets. Back then, you know, you'd have three, four TV stations and one or two radio stations and a few beat writers. You didn't have .ca and .com right. and blogs and, and everything. So there, there's probably twice the number of media now as there were then. And I, and I think for the players, you know, we can wear on them a little bit, and I totally understand it. So I've always tried. I don't know why I felt this way, but I'm glad I did. I have never been one to loiter in the clubhouse for 45 minutes. I go in, I look for the guys I want, I ask the questions I want, and I leave. If I can't find a guy, I can't find a guy. Life goes on, or I find him out of the field, around the cage, or something like that. But the clubhouse and the batting cage, those are their workspaces. And I, I try to respect that. Like, they're not there for our benefit. They're there to do their jobs. And, and we're kind of a necessary evil for in some cases. So... I try to give them as much space as I can. All right, let's listen to my second clip. It started as a spark, as the mere hint of a flame, as the first faint flickers of hope. And then it grew into a wire and burned right across. What a thing to be consumed to be engulfed, to be swept away. Now, following it to his wind, 
a match is struck again, and the M more are allowed. It's not like they were a flash in the pan. Logic told you good once all the ingredients were in place. A product of the laws of physics and baseball, not magic. Potential elements are mostly bad, combined with some new to catch and to engulf the American League. Expectations? It's World Series or bust for this team. This city only expects one thing. It's a better roster than last year. How could there's no offseason? Everyone kept talking and waiting for this season. Oh, just a few. And what an awesome introductory video to the season that was uh april 3rd 2016 video a spark it's a bit on uh it's awesome like if i'd seen it before i certainly didn't remember i saw it again last i'm definitely playing that that is like if not if something's gonna piss me off that sports playing that's it so that that is that's as what we know is a, a as a tease. So that's an yes. opening day, right? That's for opening day, I think. And Sportsnet yep. asked me to uh, yep. to voice a tease. I, I love. They asked me once in a while to voice a tease, and I love it. I actually did one for a Leafs Jets hockey game a couple of years ago, and had the time of my life voicing that tease. So the the secret of a well, the two things that make a tease great are the pictures and the writing. The least important thing is the talking head like me uh, doing the reading. You just don't want to mess it up, but. Um, oh, but you have a voice, you have a great voice for it. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but uh, you know, it can be very dramatic and powerful and intense. And, and again, that's a credit to the pictures and the music and the writing. Um, but I, uh, I, I love a good tease, I, honestly. Like a tease off the top of a show promoting a game can just get your adrenaline going, get you all fired up, and 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 make sure you're not leaving your couch. You, you want to watch what's coming next. So assuming we're going to play games again, whether it be this season or next, how pumped were you to see how this Blue Jays does, given what you saw in spring training at, towards the end of last year and obviously ends of, of the offseason? Yeah, sure. I mean, there was no question they figured to be improved. And I think 500 was very realistic and is realistic if there is a season. Uh, I wasn't just excited about 2020. I was excited about being a part of this in 21 and 22 and 23. And, and when things should even be better, when the core is a little bit older, when Pearson's established, when, you know, if they're close, hopefully then they really go after it in the offseason. Um, but yeah, I, I was very excited. The seven years I did the Jays from 95 through 01, they never made the playoffs. They were always pretty good. They'd get within two of a wild card, three of a wild card, four of a wild card, and then couldn't get over the hump. So I've been, you know, that close to broadcasting for a team that was great, but never had. And getting back to our other conversation, again, college basketball, I'm a national guy. I do all these different teams. NBA, when I did it for ESPN, national guy. I've never been the voice of a team that's been great because really the only team I've ever been a, a voice of is the Blue Jays. So like I'd be lying if I, if I said I wasn't excited and, and there's no question they're going to be better. They're always going to have it tough because they're always going to be in the same division as the Yankees. They're always, well, presumably they're, they're currently in the same division as the Yankees, Red Sox and Rays. And that's not an easy draw. But nobody said life was fair. Figure it out and go find a way to, to get in the playoffs somehow. So um, I think I think bright days are coming. I really do. I, I think better days are coming this year, if there is a this year. I, I think another year or two is needed before they might be a great team. How do you think this layoff, and, and I don't want to be negative, but let's assume they don't get to play the season. For whatever reason. What's and or athletes do you think that hurts the most obviously the older guys lose a year but forget those guys just for a second like what sport do you think it really hurts the most to lose the year that's a good question i don't know if i'm qualified to answer that i mean if it's baseball you're talking about last september until next march right so you're talking about 18 months. That's a long time. That's a long time. For the NHL, if the NHL doesn't start again, but if they start next year, even if it's late, say they start in November. Right. 
now you're talking about April to November. You're talking about seven months. That's a big difference. You know, yeah. you know, the, baseball is the one sport that just because of the timing of this whole thing, the players have the, I think, have the most to lose because 18 months is a long time for a professional athlete not to be able to be a professional athlete. But they're also in a good position to perhaps salvage some of this season because if they start in July, if they can start in July, they can still get part of the season. And the sport that's the luckiest, I think, is football. The NFL is the luckiest because they don't have to start till September, really, or preseason in August, but preseason is not, uh, you know, really much of a measuring stick at all. So I think football has got a chance to be the luckiest. And I think baseball, it could work out pretty well, or it could be a real significant problem. You know, if you're a 35 year old guy and you don't play for 18 months and you've been at home and now your kids are seven and five instead of five and a half and three and a half, Boy, oh boy, that's a, that's a tough one. And, and I think it'll be hard for those guys to get it back. You can only pick one to put on your team, Bichette or Guerrero. Which one are you picking and why? <laughs> that's an edited of the one question I wanted to ask you, which I refuse to ask you. So I've, I've changed the wording around to ask you that way. He wanted to know which one was going into the Hall of Fame. So I think mine's, I think mine's a better question. Uh, yours is, I think, a harder question because – well, I, I could dance a little bit easier on his. Uh, I think I would pick, I think they're both going to have great careers. I think Vlad's going to get it. I think Vlad's going to figure it out. I think he's going to hit. I don't know if he's going to stay at third base. I don't know if he's going to weigh 230, 240, 250 year after year after year. But I, I think he's going to get it. He's a smart kid and I think he wants to be great. But I think Bo Bichette has that extra, that extra gear that extra bit of his DNA where he wants to be the best player in the world. I really believe that. Uh, I think he wakes up every day saying, how can I be the best player in the world today? How can I, what can I do that that other guy isn't doing? And I think that's going to carry Bo to great heights. So if I had to pick, I would pick Bo. So you've told the story a lot of times about how you're on the fan, working night, phone rings, and you think it's a buddy of yours playing a joke on you. That's ESPN calling. So tomorrow morning, your phone rings and it's your agent. I'm assuming you have an agent. You're a big shot now. It's your agent. And he says, let's assume you're a little guy. Is it a boy or girl? You're your youngest. A boy. Your little guy's a little bit older. Dan, I can land you any job you want. Radio, TV, pick your sport, pick your team, pick your network. But you got to pick. You can't, you can't be on everything anymore. What are you picking and why? That's a harder question than the last question. Um, I'm going to give you an answer that's not going to make you happy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be very content with what I have. And if it's Blue Jays, college basketball, ESPN radio in the playoffs, uh, I'm very content. I, I really am. Uh, I, I've been very blessed. And I think I should focus on what I have, not what I haven't had. You know, the one, one thing in my career where I guess you could say I've been a little bit unlucky is the network I worked for or work for ESPN uh, does not have the TV rights to the World Series and does not have the Final Four. Although a few years ago, it looked like we were going to get the Final Four. And I actually got a phone call from somebody at ESPN saying, Congratulations, you're going to do the final four for the next however many years. Right. And it didn't happen. Um, but for me to focus on what I haven't done or, or might not be able to do, it kind of goes against what I promised myself when I got into this business. When I stopped being an actuary, which I wasn't for very long, I got into this to have fun. I, I just wanted to do stuff I enjoy. And if I'm one of the voices of my hometown baseball team, and if I get to do college basketball, which I've loved as long as I can remember, uh, I would be, I'd be very happy with that for however many years I keep going. Okay. Uh, I know that's very political, but that's the best I'm going to give you. <laughs> so which do you enjoy more radio or TV? Well, the, uh, the only radio I do, as I said before, is for the playoffs is baseball playoffs. Yep. It's very, so everything is heightened. 
Uh, I don't do 162 games on radio. Uh, you know, so doing a, doing a World Series game on radio is different than doing a random game in May on radio. I, I don't think I love one more than the other. It's just radio affords me this opportunity and TV affords me that opportunity. So um, I, I feel very lucky to have two sports and, and really to have three jobs. If you count baseball on radio in October being different from Blue Jays during the season. I, I, I like to think I don't get stale. I like to think as soon as I'm kind of ready to turn the page, the calendar turns the page with me and it's on to the next one. But I get asked a lot, radio or TV, even more I get asked, baseball or basketball. And I'm not trying to be bland, but I, I don't know if I could choose between them. I mean, everybody who knows anything about me know or knows me in my personal life knows how much I love baseball and basketball, which is not to say I don't love hockey and football. It was just 25 years ago, baseball and basketball was where the opportunities opened up. You know, had, had different doors opened, I easily could have been a, an NFL, NHL guy, I suppose. But um, I like radio and TV. I like baseball and basketball. And I think having some versatility serves a broadcaster well. One of my sons is trying to get into the industry. He's at Syracuse University right now. And, and uh, one of the annoying things I say to him often is be versatile. Don't just be a, a one-sport guy. You know, look at everybody who's blogging and podcasts and radio and TV and whatever, whatever it is. I said, try to pick up as many skills as you can. So college basketball is cool because it's not a team. It's really the sport and the dance. I assume that if you were tortured, you would admit, and I think you kind of have, that the Blue Jays are your team, um, as are the Leafs. Do you have a team in college basketball? Is there anyone you like calling better well, than anyone else? Well, those are two different questions. I mean, I, there, are, there are certain teams I enjoy going to their buildings because they're unbelievable. Mike? Uh, you know, Duke is an obvious answer. People either love Duke or hate Duke, but Duke is the most recognizable brand in college basketball by a wide margin. Uh, going to Cameron Indoor Stadium is a thrill. It's number two on my list, though. Number one on my list is Allen Fieldhouse in Kansas. Love, love, love going to Kansas. Uh, I also love when Indiana is good, going to Assembly Hall is unlike any other place I've ever been to. It's louder than any other place I've ever been to when they're good. And the sneaky great place that I tell people is Purdue. Going, going to Purdue is off the charts, especially if you're doing Indiana at Purdue. I mean, you want to talk about a rivalry. So, you know, those are great. Kentucky is great. Michigan State is great. So I, I like going to places where the environment is great and I know the game matters a ton. And in the states of Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky, you know how big yeah. basketball is. I, I'm very lucky. Listen, listen I, I started off doing – uh, low-level Division One games. Like, not that you can look it up, but if you could look it up, I don't want to disparage anybody because they're all great. But, I mean, I started off at the bottom of the heap, and I didn't get where I got for a long time. Uh, so the fact that I can go to Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan State, Duke, North Carolina, do, play, do games at places like that um, is a thrill for me. I don't root for any team. I have never, ever, ever rooted for a team when I've done a game. Um, I would say if there's a tiny, tiny thing going right now, and I shouldn't admit this, but since my kid goes to Syracuse and he likes them, you know, again, it, it's, I'm a, I'm a dad, right? You gotta be, you know, we're all human. I'm a dad and my kid is getting into broadcasting and he's going to be around the team next year and he and his friends go to games. And so I, I like when Syracuse is relevant, but part of that also is probably going back to my childhood and how great they were in the 80s and 90s, and they won the championship in 2003. I mean, I remember Pearl Washington and Derek Coleman and Stevie Thompson and all these great players. So um, I, I'm nostalgic. I'm a bit of a, a sappy sentimentalist, and, and I kind of want everything that was great in my childhood to still be great now. Well, I'm, I'm gutted to hear that the Patrick Gymnasium in Burlington, Vermont, didn't make the list. Uh, that's where I went. <laughs> never, it was a place to watch a basketball game. Uh, two last questions. Uh, one, I was told I had to ask you why you're not playing Stratomatic baseball like other baseball geeks are right now. Wow. Uh, I played Stratomatic as a kid <laughs> in the basement of, the, of my family's house, probably started in 1978. Baseball became big to me in 77 when the Blue Jays came in. I started playing 78, forced my sisters and my dad to play with me so I didn't have to play both teams. No computer then, right? Right. Dice and board and pen and paper and all that. And I played for a few years. I haven't played since the early eighties. 
probably, but I tweeted something about it and Stratomatic saw it. And I guess you know somebody and they asked you to ask that question. So I haven't played in a zillion years. I actually got into something a few weeks ago, Mike Wilmer, who I'm sure you know, um, he plays a dynasty baseball league and given the pandemic and everybody's at home, he rustled up 28 of us and we all picked uh, a great team from um, recent years and we play a three-game series against one other team each week. And the idea is we're going to play kind of a half season, 27 weeks of three games. We're going to play 81 games or something like that. So I'm doing that to help pass the time, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. But, uh, yeah, Strat you're, you're talking about uh, 12, 13-year-old Danny Shulman when you're talking about Stratomatic. <laughs> okay, so if, if – But it was great. I loved it. It was – I remember the day the box would show up, and I would open the box – and you would take out the cards and you could look at the cards of everybody from the previous season and see what they look like. And, I, and that was, that was like Christmas to me. That was a big deal. Well, there are still people playing today. I'm sure. Including, including fans of yours. Um, <laughs> last question, Danny, you're not going to pick the, the game. You're not going to pick the sport for me or the medium. I want you to tell me if you could call one game with one commentator sitting next to you who do you want sitting next to you oh just the commentator yeah well you didn't i asked you before you could to pick one and you wouldn't pick one and that's yeah. fine. now you yeah. got to pick a partner who do you have the most fun working with who do you enjoy working with well again you're not going to get me to pick one <laughs> a couple give me yeah. your top five so dick vital jay billis the two yeah. guys i've worked with the most on college basketball done hundreds of games with each of them uh, on the baseball side, you know, Buck meant so much to me at the beginning of my career, helped me so much. And we've known each other for so long. So Buck would be there. Aaron Boone would unquestionably be there. I mean, now he's a big shot. He's the manager of the New York Yankees and all yeah. that. But, um, I was there when he got into the business. We worked together for years on radio, on Monday Night Baseball, on Sunday Night Baseball, and we're good friends to this day. So uh, I would put Aaron on the list and I don't know who the other one would be. I mean, I, I've, uh, I've been very, I tweeted just a few days ago, it was Tony Gwynn's 60th birthday. I worked with Tony Gwynn for two years. Like how does it get better than working with right. a guy like Tony Gwynn? I've worked with Kurt Schilling and, and John Kruk, Oral Hershiser. For fun value, I'll give you a name. I only worked with him for one year. Uh, but Terry Francona was as good as it got. And, and, and again, still a close friend of mine. It was after Boston, before Cleveland. He was off for a year, came to us. And Terry and Oral Hershiser and I were the Sunday night team in 2012, I believe it was. So um, I, I've been really lucky. I actually have a Word document on my computer where I keep track of I just, I just, just a list. Everybody I've worked with in basketball and everybody I've worked with on baseball. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty good list. Um, and one day Aaron and I were talking and, and I think he kind of said, so make up like your starting nine of baseball, put together an everyday lineup with people you've worked with. And he didn't make the starting nine. Cause I worked with Phil Nevin, who I deemed to have had a better career than Aaron did. So I knocked Aaron <laughs> off the team, but you know, what's cool about it is they're not just, they're friends, right? Like they're, they're, we're oh, you spent a lot of time with them. Yeah. Yeah. We're their peers. Um, and we're friends. Uh, I'll tell you this, though, and you didn't exactly ask me this question. If I could go back in time yeah. and do anything, it would be the 1972 Canada-Soviet series. That's If I could teleport myself into the seat, not that Foster Hewitt would, would, would deserve to step aside for me or anybody else, but if I could go back in time and call anything, it would unquestionably be hockey. And it would probably be Canada, Russia, nineteen seventy-two. But could you get your voice to that high pitch to say Henderson, Henderson has scored for Canada? That's about, <laughs> that's about the size I get. So uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, my my bottom my bottom's pretty good. My top not so much. Well, it's uh, it's awesome to see your face, to hear your voice. Uh, we miss we miss it. I'll say I don't have to say it, but I will say that. Of all the people that cover games that I talk about or we talk about on our website, there's always a outliers who will say, don't like them, don't like her, wish they would have this, wish they would have that. I've never seen that with your name. Uh, you are universally liked by those who follow my Twitter and my website for sure. Uh, we hope that uh, I saw a report today, unfortunately, that Major League Baseball uh, study they were doing where they tested all those people, the numbers. I think they were hoping to get a high number here calling on your actuary 
expertise, but they were hoping to get a higher degree of people actually have, having had been exposed to it. But it sounds like only 0.07% had it. Uh, and 70% of those uh, showed no symptoms. But I don't know what that means. I don't think that's great news. I was, I'm sure, I, I think they were hoping it'd be a much bigger number, which would mean it'd be safer to come back a little bit faster. But we hope to, uh, to hear you on our airwaves, whatever kind of airwaves they may be, uh, <laughs> soon. And I really appreciate you doing this. Well, I appreciate that. All your kind words uh, and really enjoyed it. Everybody listening, stay safe and let's hunker down as long as we have to. And, and one day soon, we'll all be talking about games again. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.